Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's go back there. We were there last week looking at what we would call the basic doctrines of Christ. Now, We may be able to do two of them tonight. I've got some time here. First one of Hebrews chapter 6. It says, therefore, leaving the principles. Everybody say principles. Principles of the doctrines of Christ. Let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation. So these are what we call the foundational principles of the doctrines of Christ. One of the first lessons I was taught in Bible school, one of the first things you need to learn as a Christian, last week we looked at faith toward God. Amen. And out of that, one of the things we can determine is you, you, are either, you either have indoctrination or revelation. Indoctrination or revelation. And so many people have been indoctrinated past the point of revelation. You say, what do you mean by that? They're just they're, they're, they're literally so indoctrinated by a certain philosophy, by a certain brand of Christianity that you can't break it in them. I'll tell you one of the most amazing statements I ever heard a man of God say. The first day of Bible school, September 1984, I forget what day it was. It was a Monday, but I forget what the date was. September 1984, walked into Bible school, had my Bible, my books, my paper, my pen, everything that I needed to be a student. And Brother Osteen gets up and says this. John Osteen says, I am an ordained Baptist pastor with two degrees, two doctorate degrees of divinity earned. One from John Brown University, another from I forget what other university he said. He actually had three. One he had conferred upon him, but from Oral Roberts University. He said, I have been educated. He said, I know what the Word of God says, but I reserve the right to change my doctrine at any time. He said, for 19 years, I was not like that. He said, I adhered to the standard of the denomination I belonged to. I was indoctrinated with it. I thought there was nothing else but that. He said, he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that God, Jesus, the Holy Ghost, and all the Old Testament saints were Southern Baptists. Amen. He said, well, what happened to him? He needed a miracle. They had a little girl that was born with, what is it, the birth defect and the, the cerebral palsy. No sucking reflexes, no muscle tone. They looked like they were going to have to take care of a crippled child the rest of their life. And he began to cry out, where is the God of the Bible? Where is the God of Abraham? And he found him. Amen. And he changed his doctrine. And as he continued in the pastoral ministry for many years, he continued to change his doctrine as God gave revelation. But you never change the doctrine of the foundational principles. They are always there. They are always solid. And they're in the Word of God. They're there to protect us. They're there to give us structure. And they're there to give us something to build on. Because you build on a foundation. Amen. I remember when, when, when Brother Osteen built that, that last building he built before he went to heaven. They had a Sunday school annex back in the other property that was a two-story building. 
Now, they wanted to put another story on that building so that they could house more of their, of their Sunday school. They had gone from an from a auditorium that set uh, 2,500. It set 5,000, then they reduced it to 2,500. They just put better seating in so they couldn't hold as many chairs. Then they built an auditorium to seat 8,350. So they had a big influx of people, and they had a, had a, 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 a real need for more room for Sunday school. So he went to the contractor and said, we want to put a third story on that building. And the contractor said, oh, you can't do it. He said, I can do it. It's my building. I can do anything I want to. He said, no, you can't do it. He said, why can't I do it? He says, because when we laid the foundation, the foundation is, is, is the only thing the foundation can hold. It's two stories. It can't hold three. If we put another story on it, it will, it will violate the integrity of the foundation and the whole thing will come down. So there has to be a foundation of belief in your heart and in your life. And those foundational beliefs in your heart and your life, they give you something to build on. Amen. So last week we talked about faith toward God, how, how, how the Word of God convinces you of the reality of God, even though your senses have never touched God. You've never seen Him with your eyes, heard Him with your ears, uh, felt Him with your hands, but you, you, you have a reality in you of Him. Faith does that. Faith, everybody say faith, toward God. Amen. Now, 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 let's just go back to the top part of it. It says, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go again into perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. Now, everybody say repentance from dead works. Now, this is a foundational truth of the doctrines of Christ. Now, the word repent or repentance, however you want to uh, define the word, the best way to illustrate it is this. You're walking this way. And you turn and you go in the complete opposite direction. Repentance and forgiveness are not the same. A lot of people seek forgiveness, but there's never any repentance in them. Now, on the surface, you would think that this is talking about sin. But if you dig into the Word of God, because this is a what? A foundational doctrine. This is not talking about sin. This is talking about what? Dead works. Now, notice who the book is written to. Now, we know the book is written to us. Everybody say us. Remember, the Old Testament is written uh, uh, to you. The New Testament is written for you. Amen. So now, in this scripture here, or this book, it's the book to who? The Hebrews, to the Jewish people. Therefore, what are the Jewish people? Let's just say this is, uh, I believe the Apostle Paul wrote this later in his ministry. So let's say the Apostle Paul had been in the ministry 20 years. So it was actually 10 years from the day of Pentecost, approximately 10 years, 9 to 10 years, that the Apostle Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, had his salvation experience on the road to Damascus. And on, almost immediately he went into the ministry. Now we know that he spent time in the Arabian desert. God gave him revelation, ended up in the church of Antioch, and was sent out of the church of Antioch as an apostolic missionary. Amen? Now, with that in mind, we can do kind of a, a, a timeline and see that from the time that, that, that the day of Pentecost took place and the church was founded in the earth until this book was written, it could be approximately 30 years. So in that 30 years, what do you think the Jewish religion is doing? They're doing the same old thing they've ever done. The same old ritual, the same old tradition, the same old, uh, just the same old, same old. Now, that is classified, once redemption took place, anything they did in 
the Jewish religion that adhered to Levitical law was classified as dead works. You say what? It may have religious significance, but it has no scriptural value. You say, what do you mean? You mean, you mean, if I would have been back then, and I would have gotten into sin, and I really didn't have a lot of faith in what Jesus had done, could I have run back to my, to my rabbi, and when they, when they kill that bull, would that have taken care of my sin problem? No, it wouldn't have. No, it wouldn't have. You say, why? Because that covenant, the Bible says, was done away with. One translation says, was folded up and put up, never to be brought out again. So you can't go back. He's telling, you know, one, one of the, I think you read down here a little bit further, and it talks about uh, if, you've, if you sin, uh, there's no more, how does it go? I think it's, because people get all freaked out about it. What scripture is it there? Here it is. Uh, uh, for it is impossible for those who are once enlightened to taste the heavenly gift or may partake of the Holy Ghost, powers of the world to come. They should fall away to renew them again under repentance. See if they, notice that, under repentance, under repentance. See if they crucify uh, themselves the Son of God afresh and put them to an open shame. Now, literally, people read that and think, well, well you know, if I've, I've been enlightened, if I sin, did, did I lose my salvation? No, you didn't lose your salvation. You don't lose your salvation. Let me just say this. Your salvation ain't that fragile. Man, I tell you, the Pentecostals have been the worst on that. The Baptists hadn't been too good, too, 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 too good about it either. Because they, 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 they tend to fill their altars with people that keep getting saved over and over again. Not realizing that what they really need to do is to repent from dead works. Because that's a dead work to come over, to come up and ritually get right with God every week. That's just a dead work. You say, what do you mean? Get, get, right, get saved, get right, and stay right. Amen? So go, go, to, go to chapter 9 real quick. Let me show you. This might help you a little more. Look at chapter 9. Well, let me get there. I believe it's around verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ... Well, back up and read this to help you understand it. For if the blood of bulls of goats and the ashes of a heifer, the sprinkling of the unclean, sanctify to the purifying of the flesh. Now that's speaking of their, of their, of their law under the Levites. That's what got them right with God every year. You say, what was it? It was the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer and sprinkling of the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh. Every year, that sacrificial animal was killed. Blood was shed, was put upon the altar, upon the mercy seat, and Israel was forgiven for a year. Are you with me? For a whole year. Now, it says, okay, if that happened for them, how much more... Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience. Now, that's not a good word. That word should be lifestyle. Purge your lifestyle from dead works to serve the living God. Now, you, you say, well, that, that's, we're not Jewish, Pastor Rusty. I mean, we shouldn't have. But you don't understand how many dead works have entered into Christianity. Amen? I mean, 
the old the old Pentecostals that that, that uh, don't believe in you know wearing makeup, cutting your hair, you can't wear jewelry. I've always wondered why they always put all those rules on the women. And the men they dress up like a a bunch of peacocks, and the men and the women they won't let them wear makeup. Their dress has to be a certain length. I feel so sorry for those people. Amen. I feel so sorry for them. And you know that was very popular back in the back in the thirties, the forties, the fifties, uh, and and kind of into the early sixties, even amongst the four square churches and the Assembly of God churches. But thank God for people like Mom Goodwin, and thank God for people like Aretha Hagen, and thank God for these women who dug into the Word of God and saw what they were talking about because it had nothing to do with salvation, and literally. Not cutting your hair and not wearing jewelry and not wearing any makeup, that was a dead work. Amen? We've got a, uh, well, there was a picture that they showed at Dad's birthday on Sunday of uh, brother, brother and Sister Hagen and my mom and dad. But I think it's my sister also has a picture of my mom, uh, Sister Hagen, and Velma Hankins sitting on the couch together in that same, same uh, event we were at. And I'm telling you what, those three senior ladies in the gospel were dressed to the nines. You never saw more rocks. You saw $100 hairdos. You saw $1,000 dresses and $1,000 shoes. You say, why? They got free from those dead works. They're just dead works is all they are. Now, you get over into some of the other denominations. Catholicism is full of dead works. How many have a Catholic background? Well, I hope you've gotten rid of your rosary beads. Amen. I remember that, you know, my, my Leah's family is devout Catholic. We never, we never criticized them or never. I just loved on them. Amen. But one of the brothers, one of Leah's brothers, went over to Magigoria when all that stuff was going on in Magigoria, which was not of God. It was demonic. And really, after all those aberrations, a bad war started. That's at Bosnia and all that area is where that happened. But they brought back some beads, so a, a rosary that had been blessed in Magigoria. And you'd have thought those things were worth $10 million. I mean, everybody wanted to use them. Everybody wanted to, And I thought to myself, that's just dead works is all it is. But it can get into your life because anytime your, quote, discipline in the gospel quits coming from your heart and starts coming from your head. You say, what do you mean? Well, you know, I pray every day whether I need to or not, one hour from three to four. That's probably become a dead work in your life because you're just doing it through routine. And when you're praying, you're probably not even paying any attention to what you're doing. You're just out there Doing your duty. Maintaining your discipline. You say, what do you mean by Everything we do to serve God needs to come from our heart. I don't pray because I have to. I pray because I get to. The work of prayer or the work of studying the Word of God comes from my heart for God. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, his heart, you can imagine how much he prayed. He says, I speak in tongues more than you all. You can imagine how much he prayed, how much he studied. And brother, he was somebody who was involved in a multitude of dead works before he got saved. Amen. And he had been delivered to them dead works from those dead works to the point when the Judaizers began to rise up. He even confronted Peter and said, hey, Peter, 
This is a bunch of dead works which we and our fathers could not adhere to. What makes you think a bunch of Gentiles can adhere to that? Amen. The Bible says there was no small disputation between the two. That means they, they were shouting at each other. And Paul was shouting grace and, and Peter was shouting works. Exactly what happened. So you've got to understand, you've got to serve God from a pure heart. You say, well, uh, you know, uh, I, just, I just want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Listen, you can be assured you're always doing the right thing if you do it from a pure heart toward God. You ought to pray, listen, not because you need $50 or not because you need healing. You ought to pray because you want to know God. You want to communicate with the creator of the universe. And I'll take it a step further. You have the right to do it. What a tremendous phenomenon to realize that through the blood of Jesus and his name, you have access to the, to the very throne room of God and you can enter in there and pray and worship God and fellowship with him. Now, you talk about a motivation. That ought to motivate you. But dead works always try to get. Now, let me just say this. This may, this may help give you an, an idea. We just had um, Dr. Billy Graham went to heaven, went to his reward. Now, you think of all the work that he did and all the millions of people that he, that he touched. Now, if he went to heaven and offered that up as a legal entrance into heaven, he would have been denied. All of his work said, well, look, 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 God, you know, I preached salvation, but I, I really never got saved. But I'm telling you one thing, I gave my life to preach that gospel. And I preached it all over the world, 197 countries, and, and millions were saved. And millions, God would have to shake his head and say, well, you know, you did a good job. Appreciate it. Appreciate the harvest. But it says in Titus, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. I believe that's why God put Hebrews in the Bible, was to keep his people in a place of liberty. You've got a liberty. See, you don't have to come to church. You get to come to church. You don't have to tithe an offer. You get to tithe an offer. You don't have to pray. You get to pray. You don't have to worship God. You get to worship God. It remains a liberty in your life. And the problem is most people do not take advantage of it, so their experience with God becomes routine, even sometimes greatly disciplined, but routine. Take that into a marriage and see what that does for you. Amen? You gotta have a little spice in your marriage. You gotta have a little romance in your marriage. Come on, church. You've got to listen, that's the most intimate relationship you'll ever be in is the marriage relationship outside of your relationship with God. And I'm telling you, that type of routine that becomes legalistic in your life, it'll, it'll, it'll listen, it'll it'll make it'll make you so there'll be no life in what you pray, there'll be no, there'll be a, no anointing in what you aim. Pretty, it won't take long. You'll be bored with the whole thing. And there's a lot of strong people that have really strong personalities that are disciplined in a lot of other things, in their job, uh, working out, in their, in their hobbies. But when it comes to God, they, they try to institute that same mindset, and, and it ends up fruitless. You say, why? Because it's a dead work. It's just a dead work. It's kind of like this. Uh, yeah, thank you, Lord. It's kind of like this. Well, Lord... I've been tithing for 10 years. And I got this need. And I don't know why in the world you had not met my need. I've prayed, I've prayed, I've prayed, I've tithed, I've prayed, I've obeyed your word, I've confessed. You know what that is? That's just become a dead work to you. That's all it is. 
when you say you have a need and you've tithed for 10 years, how should you pray? Heavenly Father, thank you that you gave me a revelation of tithing. Oh, I'm so thankful. And Heavenly Father, I thank you that you put a grace on me for the last 10 years to be able to tithe. And because of that, you said in your word that you'd rebuke the devourer, that you'd open the windows of heaven, uh, that, you, that, you'd, that you'd pour me out a blessing that my life cannot even contain. You said that my seed will not cast itself before us. Now, I'm just reminding you now. I'm not, I don't want you to look at what I've been doing. I'm reminding you now of your word and what your word says because I have the right to. You see what I'm saying? So you've got to be careful. You can always point at the other guy in the other religion. Look at the pagan religions. They're full of dead works. Full of dead works. Last, last Wednesday, thank you, Lord, for reminding me. Last Wednesday, we were praying before the service, and two Mormon missionaries came into the service, sat in the back. And I'm telling you, the anointing of God came on me. I got up and preached. When I got home, I asked Leah, what did I preach on? Because I went back in the office and the Lord gave me those two words of indoctrination and revelation. I just took off on faith toward God. Now what they do when you turn eight, age 18, when you turn 18 years old, you have to, as a, you know, as, as a Mormon, you have to give two years of your life to missions work. Whether it be locally uh, or, or somewhere else in the world, you have to do that. That is part of you being accepted into their religion. It is a work. And when you look at the religion, Jehovah's Witnesses are the same way. Why do you think they're out there knocking on doors all the time? They're trying to knock their way into heaven. And they're not going to be able to do it. It's a dead work. That's why all cults are full of dead works. You go back and look at Jim Jones. You go back and look at David Koresh. They were doing everything they could do. They could be, uh, Jim Jones became so communal. Amen. And then they became crazy. Y'all don't know how crazy. I have an aunt and uncle that were, that were in ministry back in the time that rescued two people out of that cult. Almost cost them their lives. You say, why? Because dead works will take you to a place of legalism that's so strong, that's so strong that you'll fight to the death to defend it. Amen? So, everybody say, dead works are not a part of my faith. Now, oh man, how more did my time go? That was good anyway. You needed to know that. Back to Hebrews 6. Now, the next one, and if we don't get finished with it, we'll pick it up next week, is the doctrine of baptisms. Everybody say baptisms. Now, look at it again. It says, uh, uh, the, uh, repentance from dead work, or turning from dead works, faith toward God. We studied that last week. And of the doctrine of baptisms. Notice the S on the end. Now, there are three baptisms in the body of Christ. Let me say that again. There are three baptisms in the body of Christ. Number one and the most important. Number one and the most important is the baptism into the body of Christ, which is salvation. Being born again. You say, who came up with that? Jesus did. John chapter 3, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again or you will not understand the kingdom of God. Now let me say this. Because I'm telling you, I don't know why some Christian, quote, religions have gotten away from the new birth. But without the new birth, you are not a Christian. And without the new birth, you are not a church. 
and there are churches all over America and all over Galveston that do not believe in the new birth. What do they believe in? They believe in works. I've heard this statement from ministers on this island. There is no way God will send a good man to hell. A man that is good, a man that takes care of his family, a man that blesses his community, a man that is, that, that, that li listen, it does not make any difference whatsoever how good you are. You must be born again. You must be baptized into the body of Christ. Amen? It is your entrance into the kingdom. It is what Jesus died for you to have. Amen? And I'm telling you, boy, I, oh, I don't want to get on my soapbox. His sacrifice was complete. You say, what do you mean by that? He took everything wrong with us, including our punishment. You say, why do you say that? That's one of the most attacked doctrines in the Bible. And I'm telling you, there's people that will scream when you... That, that, no, 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 he did not go to hell. No, 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 he did not go into the bowels of this earth. No, 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 he did not go into Hades. He told the thief on the cross, this day I will, you will be with me in Paris. Did you know that if you study that in the true Greek, the common Greek that it was written in, it came out of Latin into the Greek and translated into English, that it did not say it like that. It said it like this. I say unto you this day, you shall be with me in paradise. Because when he died... He cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Psalms 22 is the picture of Jesus suffering in hell. I can show you scripture. I'm going to do that on Easter. I'm going to show scripture after scripture that shows that Jesus not only took your sin, not only took your wretchedness, not only took your iniquity, not, on, not only ever trespassed, but he took the punishment that you were under. You had already been sentenced I said, you had already been sentenced. You are a dead man. You are a dead woman. And you were going to live eternally separated from God. But Jesus went to that place of, of eternal separation and bore your punishment three days and three nights. And it seemed like forever for him. You say, why? That's why he cried out, my God, my God. Why has Listen, somebody doesn't cry that out when they're fixing to enter into paradise. And he was tormented, and he was, I'm telling you, those devils thought they had him. Satan itself, they had high carnival in hell. But thank God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead that is on the inside of you came into the re Now, let me just say this. Let me, let me say, because when, when, when you teach on that, people say, that's heresy, that's demonic. What gives Jesus more glory? Now think, but just use your natural mind for a moment. Does it give him more glory? to just step off the cross with a physical death and go over there into Abraham's bosom for three days and three nights. That doesn't give him any glory. What gives him glory is to go to the authoritative seat of hell. Listen, the devil doesn't live in hell. The demons don't live in hell. But that is their capital. That is the authoritative seat of that demonic realm. And he went there and he suffered for each and every one of us so that we could have eternal life. He took your punishment. I said, it's just like if you were being sentenced at a court trial and getting life in prison, then somebody stepped up and said, I'll take their punishment. I'll take their punishment. That's exactly what Jesus did.
Baptisms. Everybody say baptisms. So you must be born again. Secondly, everybody say second. The baptism in the Holy Ghost. Now, the baptism in the Holy Ghost and the new birth are two separate experiences, both which should lead to a lifestyle in the Spirit. You say, what do you mean by that? The new birth, being born again, making Jesus your Lord and Savior, obeying Romans 10, 9, and 10. And then, according to Acts, chapter 2, actually go to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, Acts chapter 19. These are experiences that happened in the lives of believers in which they were endued with power. The new birth is the spirit that abides on the inside. The empowerment or the baptism of the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God coming upon you. It is a tangible reality. You say, what do you mean by that? It is, it is experienced through the senses. Now let me say this. I've never heard it put this way. The other day I heard it put this way. I thought it was, that was just so eloquent, so outstanding. That God honored His Son Jesus. Now think about this. That God honored the work of His Son Jesus. That means everything from, from Philippians 2 where he gave up his place in heaven. He gave up all that he was. He gave up his power as being God himself. He came down and got into the, into the, into the uh, body of a human being. He was born upon this earth. Uh, he, he lived 33 and a half sinless years. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He's seated at the right hand. God took and honored him and honored Jesus by giving you his spirit. The Holy Spirit. The same Spirit that came upon him at John's baptism in the Jordan River, God said, I'm going to honor you and I'm going to put it on every person that dares to believe that I can baptize them in the Holy Ghost. So Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Ghost because God gave the Spirit unto him and said, now you do what you want to with it. He said, I know what I'll do with it. I'll pour it out on the church. That's why he kept telling his disciples, i got to go away. Because if I don't go away, the Comforter ain't coming. But if I go away, the Father, the Father will send the Comforter. And He's going to come. He's going to show you things to come. He's going to give you power. He's going to give you anointing. He's going to guide you into all truth. Come on, church. And that has become one of the most fought doctrines. It has been so, listen, listen to me. This, this, this is what blows my mind. But this is also what gives me expectancy. Every time God has moved, bringing revival and spiritual awakening to this planet, it's always been with a move of the Holy Ghost, baptizing people in the Spirit. I dare you, show me a revival. Show me a true move of God without it. I've studied revival for 34 years. I've looked at the Welsh Revival. I've looked at the Azusa Street Revival. I've looked at the Healing Revival. I've even gone back into further, back in the 1880s, and back in the 1840s, back in the 1700s. Even where the, the origin of the Quakers, which goes back to the, goes back to the 1600s. You know why they call them Quakers? Because they would quake under the power of God. Come on, church. And God brought a move of God to this nation, a spiritual awakening through the Quakers. A move of holiness. And every other move of God. You say, well, I'm believing God for revival. Move of God. I don't want none of them tongues. You won't have no move of God. 
I said, you won't have no move of God. Because when God begins to move, what he does is he saves and fills with the Holy Ghost. The great charismatic revival, my mom and dad were part of that. They would go to these full gospel businessmen conventions and lay hands on thousands of people to receive the Holy Ghost. Baptists, Methodists, Catholics, and just flat heathens would, would receive the Holy Ghost. We, we, in our travels, we saw great revival in Ireland for many years in the 90s. One, one time we were in Sligo, Ireland, 200 people in a, little, in a little hotel ballroom. And at one time, all 200 were filled with the Holy Ghost, just like you snap your fingers. Another time, in a Catholic charismatic prayer group in Limerick, there were over 280 people in there. And just like you snap your fingers, all 280 were filled with the Holy Ghost, all speaking in other tongues. You say, why? It is a basic doctrine. God wants every believer to be filled with the Holy Ghost and speaking in other tongues. Now, let me say this. You say, well, man, I, I, you know, I just don't want that. You are rejecting God's best. I said, you're rejecting God's best. It is God's best to disconnect your communication system from your intellect and to hook it to your spirit. So that you can begin, the Bible says, to speak in tongues of men and angels and to enjoy what? Part of the basic doctrines of Christ of baptisms. Amen? Now, the last, let's talk about the last one real quick. Then we'll come back. We'll, we'll talk about this a little more later. The third is water baptism, which is an ordinance of the church. Now, that's another, oh, Lord. How are you baptized? If you weren't baptized in Jesus' name only, then you're not even saved. That's just the craziest. Amen? We see water baptism in the book of Acts. You say, when? We see it there in Acts chapter 10, and we see it over in Acts chapter 8. When the Ethiopian eunuch is baptized, he's baptized in water. When those, uh, the people at Cornelius' house were saved, filled with the Holy Ghost, then they also were baptized in water. That's the two times we see it in the book of Acts. Now, we must realize that you can be born again and filled with the Holy Ghost and never be water baptized and enjoy all the fullness of God. But if you, now listen, that's, I don't want to get, get on anybody's toes, but there is a real trend right now because of some people that have become very famous that are, quote, Christians. And they believe you need to be born again. But they also believe unless you're water baptized, you're not born again. Now, that's not in the Word of God. I could see that kind of stuff rising up in Paul's day, and Paul talked about not even baptizing people and was glad he only baptized a few because there was so much controversy. Now, let's remove the controversy. When you're baptized in water, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, Matthew chapter 28. But you as a believer come in the name of Jesus to be baptized. You say, what do you mean? Well, you've been born again. So you're coming in the name of Jesus to be immersed in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That takes care of the whole thing. People ask me, were you baptized in Jesus' name only? I told them, sure I was. Absolutely. Well, were you baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Yeah, absolutely. I said, well, you can't have both. I told them, I do. That makes them matter, amen? But it's an ordinance of the church. 
we're building a nice baptismal into our new church. In the summertime, we usually have a baptismal service when the water's warm. <laughs> Poor Nellie Zapata, she's a precious lady that comes here. Man, she got turned on to God and got saved and healed and touched by the power of God. So she wanted to be water baptized. She told me, Pastor, I want, I want to get water baptized now. And it was like March. And I'm like, Nellie, well, can't we wait till the summer? She's like, no, I want it now. I want. She said, can, can you tell She wanted to go. She's going to meet me at the beach. I said, no, no. I said, come to my house. We lived over in Colony Park, and we had a pool. And I was like, man, I put on my wetsuit. <laughs> That's how cold the water was. And I kept telling her, you sure you want to do this? You sure you want to do this? You sure? I want to be water baptized. I said, okay. And, man, she went. I put her down in the water, and she came up, and I was, I was waiting for her to breathe. I was like, breathe, Nellie, breathe. I thought I'd killed her. <laughs> she finally caught her breath. She got it, amen. We baptize a lot of people in swimming pools and beaches and places like that. But it is an ordinance of the church. Two ordinances of the church are water baptism and communion. If you've not been water baptized, you need to be water baptized. Amen. You say, why? Because you're obedient to the basic doctrines of Christ and so doing. Now, let me say this. I was away from the Lord for probably 12, 13 years. And one of the first things I did, I got right with God. I came to the church. I got refilled with the Holy Ghost. And then the first time that church had a baptismal service, I got baptized in water again. Now, I don't believe in just doing it all the time. I got baptized in water then, and then I got baptized in water in the Jordan River because I could. Amen. Wouldn't you? <laughs> I mean, I was in Israel. We were at the Jordan River where John baptized Jesus. I said, you want to get baptized? I said, sure. That's an that's a, that's a easy one there, amen. So these are what? Basic doctrines. Now, we've gone through three. Number one, repentance from dead works. Now, here's the definition of repentance from dead works. Anything that may seem to have spiritual significance but has no basis in the Word of God. We don't pray to saints. Amen? Purgatory is a ski, ski lodge in, in Colorado. Come on, church. I mean, we don't do rosaries. We don't, we don't have, you know, uh, you can only wear a blue dress on Fridays though, with an even number. You know what I mean? We don't do that kind of stuff. Amen? That breaks the legalism, gives you liberty to serve God. Then there's faith toward God. Creation itself cries out, there is a God. Everything, your physical body cries out, there is a God. Everything that God has done through His creation, through who He is, it displays His wonders of what? Creation. Evolution is a lie. So I'll tell you, that's so backwards to say that. No, it's not backwards to say that. The probability, I like an old preacher, he said the probability of evolution is as probable as a tornado hitting a junkyard and a 747 popping out the other side. You are gloriously and wondrously made. Your nervous system, your cardiovascular system, your digestive system, every part of you, you can tell. The workmanship, the Bible says you are the handiwork, you are the workmanship of God. And some of the most simple things in creation, like a simple leaf, uh, there was a National Geographic uh, special called The Microscopic World. Did anybody see that? It was really cool. 
and it showed leaves and showed Velcro. It showed all this stuff under the microscope. But everything that God had produced, you could see his handiwork in it. Amen. And I've even seen them get out there and make a case for evolution. And when they tried to make a case for evolution, it backed up creation. On the same channel, National Geographic had this, they were talking about the evolution of the hummingbird. And they showed this hummingbird, and now this hummingbird had this long beak that curved down like that. And then there was this certain flower that actually grew just like that, so that hummingbird. I thought, my God, that, what, what, do you, what do you think? That, that that evolved like that? What did they do in the meantime while the beak was growing, or the flower was trying to figure out how to grow? <laughs> Amen. What, when the, what, what about when the beak was only four inches long? What were they doing then? No, that was a, that was a master hand of the creation of Almighty God, faith toward God, and then the doctrine of baptisms. Get born again, baptized into the body of Christ. Get endued with power, baptism in the Holy Ghost, and get wet. You identify with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I've noticed this about people that get water baptized. They they they, they pretty that pretty much settles it for them. They're like, I'm done with, with low living. I'm done with the devil, the world, the flesh. I'm going to serve God. Amen? Did you learn something tonight? Hallelujah. Lift your hands and thank the Lord. Father, we bless your name this evening. We thank you so much for your goodness, your grace, for your word. Thank you, Lord. It's, it's getting into our heart, reassuring us of our foundation. We thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Stand on your feet. Father, we dismiss tonight. Our faith is in you, Lord. Protection, safety. For travel, I lift up my family, Lord God, as they're over in Japan, as they travel even today on the bullet train. Thank you, Father. No evil befalls us. No plague comes nigh our dwelling place. Angels have charge over us. Thank you, Lord God. We as your people, we walk on serpents, scorpions, over all power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm us. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Whether we travel on the highways, airways, seaways, railways, or any other way of travel or transportation, We're kept. We're protected. Thank you, Father, in the righteous labor of our hands, whether it be out in the ocean, whether it be be in the medical field, educational field, whether it be in the oil field, no matter where we go, what we do, thank you that we're not subject to accidents, trauma, terror, evil plans of wicked men or Satan himself. We abide under the shadow of the Most High. Thank you, Father, for a door of utterance. Let us be sensitive to your spirit. Let us understand, know, and realize how many hurting, desperate people surround us every day. Let us be an answer to their prayer. Let us be a problem to the adversary. Let us be a miracle in someone's life. We live tonight walking in faith and love towards you. Thank you that you love us so much. We leave tonight walking in love toward one another. Thank you for our church. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ. You've called us to be. Thanking you, Lord, here at Island Church. We're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.